Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Bits of Gold, episode 120. Today's episode is all about turning tragedy into purpose. Welcome back to another episode of the Bits of Gold podcast. If you're new here, first off, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Second, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. More subscribers help attract more amazing guests to help better serve you with amazing content on how to live with purpose. Now let's get to it. I'm always so inspired by people who take some of the worst, the hardest, and the most challenging moments in their life and turn those moments into impact and purpose. Today, my guest is Ben Kander, and that's exactly what he did. When Ben turned 22, his mom, Alan, passed away after a courageous battle with liver cancer. His mom was known for altruism, social responsibility, health consciousness, and helping others find a sense of purpose. It's upon those principles in which he decided to establish Welly a company that offers highly functional and fashionable drinkware that helps the environment and gives clean water to people in need. With Welly, there's purpose in every sip. My biggest bit of gold in this episode is to dream big, to go for it, and to do the things you are called to do. For Ben, that was to create Welly in memory of his mom and an effort to make the world a better place. And now let's welcome Ben to the show. Ben, welcome to the Bits of Gold podcast. Pumped to have you on. Thanks, Dan. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's nice to see you again. Nice to catch up. I remember we met years ago in a coffee shop and I recruited you to experience camps. And that's when multiple people told me, oh, you, you recruited a, a rock star at experience camps. I appreciate that. You know, I forgot it was you who originally recruited me. I, I can't thank you enough. Experience camps has changed my life and it has changed my siblings' lives. For those who don't know, it's a camp for kids who have lost loved ones. And so losing my mom, it really felt like I needed to go and give back to kids who are struggling with what I've gone through. And grief is a crazy, you know, experience to go through and it it helps to not go through it alone. So thank you so much for that referral. Yeah, awesome. And happy you took me up on the offer and came to camp. I've been involved now almost a decade and recruited a lot of people. And sometimes you forget who you recruit or you mentioned to someone and in hopes maybe they'll dive in, but they don't go and then they go a couple of years later. So it's always awesome to see the, the trickle effect Completely. there. And now my siblings are there as counselors. So all because of you, you got three counselors. So good, good job. <laughs> awesome. Let's kick this one off. Maybe just share a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do. Sure. My name is Ben Kander. I uh, grew up in Pittsburgh, PA. I uh, went to Emory University for college. Just as I was graduating from Emory, my mom was diagnosed with liver cancer my senior year. So it was a crazy year of traveling back and forth from Atlanta to Pittsburgh. This is my mom. And she tragically passed just as I graduated from school. This was as I you know, left school, went to New York, started my nine to five career. And I realized life is really short and can be really fragile. Just from losing my mom, I had seen what toxins can do when they invade your body. And at that same time, I was actually reading a book by Blake Mykoski, the founder of Tom's Shoes, called Start Something That Matters. And he talked about charity water and the clean water crisis where 785 million people don't have access to clean water on a daily basis, and they have toxins in their water, you know, our most necessary resource. And I just kind of connected both my mom and water and realized, oh my goodness, just because we were born here in the United States, 
we don't have to think about water on a daily basis. Meanwhile, girls and mothers in Africa are, are walking four to five hours a day just to get dirty water to give to their family. And I really just clung to that. And my girlfriend at the time, now wife, drank more water than anyone I knew. I didn't have a reusable water bottle at the time. And it got me looking at the reusable drinkware space. I never thought I'd be in this, this category. But I realized when you look around, all these bottles, whether it's Stanley or Yeti or Hydro Flask or Clean Canteen or Corksicle or Mir, they're all just steel and plastic. They keep drinks hot. They keep them cold. And they're in different shapes, right? It's just different branding. And I felt that there was an opportunity in this space. I love that it's reusable and reduces our reliance on single-use plastics, which litter our ocean ways and landfills. And I wanted to tie into our business model of give back, right? I wanted to help these people who don't have access to clean water. And here we are selling water bottles. So we donate 1% of sales to clean water projects around the world through our partner, Charity Water. I named the business after my mom. So it's called Welly. My mom's name was Ellen. My dad used to call her Ellie. And our donations go to fund wells in developing countries. So hence the name Welly was born. We've been growing pretty quickly. We did a Kickstarter in 2015, our first full year of sales, not till 2018, but we've been growing year over year. We just got into Starbucks Reserve, all of their locations. Whole Foods is placing us in some locations. Target got us, put us online. We've done collaborations with Madewell and Anthropology. Four Seasons Resorts has us in a bunch of locations. So we're growing pretty quickly. It's been an exciting ride and we're helping a lot of people along the way. Wow, that's absolutely incredible. Let's just go backwards. You finished school. Even before that, I guess, what was it like through the year, through your senior year, your mom was diagnosed? Can you take us through that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it's such a blur. I do remember the first call that I got when my dad told me that my mom had cancer. It was a Sunday. I had my Steelers gear, my Pittsburgh Steelers gear on, terrible towel around my neck. And I'm in the parking lot taking this call. And he tells me she has liver cancer. And we're not sure. And I just collapsed in, in the parking lot. And I remember a mom and their daughter walking by me. And they stopped and asked me if I was okay. And I said, yeah, 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 I'm crying, you know, tears coming down my face. And it just, you know, I wanted to say to them, hold each other tight. You know, it just, you just don't know. This could hit anyone at any time. And life is so fragile and can be so short. And I love what you said before about, you know, treat every day as a gift, not guaranteed. Yeah. And that's just such a great way to live your life. And so easy to take things for granted until you realize our most precious resource is our health and you get a true perspective when you lose someone. And so at experience camps, the way I've talked to our campers is I say, I feel like grief is kind of like a, a ball of energy that when you have someone you lose, you're just consumed with this energy and you can either use that energy for bad, right? And you can take it out on your teachers or your classmates or your friends or your family and just, you know, let it all out. Or you can try to bottle it and repurpose it for something really good and use it as as the fuel to your passion that helps people or helps the world or helps you. So that's really my goal with with Welly is to take all this energy that I have from losing my mom, this tragic energy, and convert it and repurpose it into something that helps our planet, that helps people, that helps keep you hydrated and healthy, and also makes a, a good amount of money at the same time. There's no shame in that. Absolutely. You need to you need to live as well, sure. right? So after school, you had a nine to five job though? Yeah. So I worked for Cumberland Packing Corp. They produce sugar in the raw, the brown sugar packets that you find at mm. Starbucks. My dad works for them. My plan was to work for them for 20 plus years and eventually become the CEO. That was my goal. I quickly realized that when you're an entrepreneur, it can be very hard to be at one company for 20 years and work your way up with different managers and bosses. And you kind of feel micromanaged at times, even though it's a great company. I love all the people there. 
And I just, you know, once you're an entrepreneur, you have that bug at all times. And so I had this idea, I launched, um, I created a prototype for a product. The original concept was actually a collapsible filtering water bottle that would fit in guys' back pockets, really for myself to travel with. We pivoted, I view entrepreneurship as a game of pivots, and we pivoted many times. Launched a Kickstarter campaign in 2015, sold $65,000 worth of this terrible prototype, which then evolved in from EVA foam and plastic to double wall, now triple wall, vacuum insulated steel. So it's been a really great ride. And the most recent development, which is way bigger than anything we've done, is first off, we could never get enough inventory from our Chinese manufacturers to keep up with demand, which is a great problem to have, but it's still a problem. And then the pandemic hit, right? And costs went up and shipping costs went up and shipping delays went through the roof. And here I am paying a duty, a tariff to bring a product that's 95% steel into Pittsburgh, a city that's known for steel, right? Something felt wrong here. (laughs) And I looked at the industry around me. This is over the last two years. And I saw, oh my goodness, this entire industry is 100% reliant on these Chinese manufacturers and our fragile international supply chain. And look what happens when a ripple in that supply chain happens, like the pandemic, which can happen again. And it causes all these delays at ports and shelves are out of stock and product prices are going up through the roof. So I had this dream, you know, I had this placeholder on my desk that says, what would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail? And it's a great quote to just a great kind of North Star. I would cure cancer, but I'm not, I'm not a doctor or a scientist. I don't think I'm doing that in my <laughs> lifetime. I sell drinkware. So it got me thinking about drinkware. And I said, what if we could bring steel back to Pittsburgh and jobs back from overseas and be the first to manufacture insulated steel drinkware here in the United States and in Pittsburgh alone? And what if we could hire veterans to run the plan? So we formed a partnership with the Veterans Place. So we are currently in fundraising right now. We're getting very close to closing our round, purchasing drinkware machinery, renting out a space. 69,000 square foot industrial plant here in Pittsburgh and getting operational by the end of 2023 is our goal. So that's what we're working on. That's incredible. I definitely want to dive more into that. When you were working the nine to five job and you came up with this idea, how quickly were you at this point of, hey, I'm going to take this jump. I'm going to go for it. Looking back, I think I jumped a little too soon. (laughs) I'm the type of entrepreneur that goes in. I only need like 50% of the data for my opinion. I think most people like my wife, she'll need like 95% to make it go. <laughs> and so I jump in sometimes too quickly and sometimes with not enough information. But, you know, we had closed the Kickstarter campaign. I was feeling good. We have this money coming in. We got molds going. Product is being manufactured. I got to get the marketing ready. I got to get a website ready. So at that point, I quit my job and started doing this full time. Of course, the first production run of 5,000 units came in and it was flawed. It had a, an issue where they didn't let the adhesive connected our bamboo the steel. So going back to the industry being all steel and plastic, our products currently are made with bamboo, a natural renewable resource that just looks beautiful. You know, I think anytime you add a natural resource to a consumer product, it has this elevated aesthetic to it. And so that's what we did. And that's how we've separated ourselves. And that's how we've, in part, how we've grown in this industry, along with our built-in infusers to brew coffee and tea, or as well as our story about my mom and our give back mission. But so I jump, we get this product, We start shipping it out to all of our Kickstarter backers, realize that there's an issue and have to recall all of it. So recall it all, get all the product back, ship it back to China for their inspection. We have to redo our designs, update our molds. That takes 60 days alone and then another 60 days for manufacturing and then another 30 to 45 days on the water to ship new product. So we ended up not officially launching until late 2017 of getting new product that was suitable to ship. So Because of that major hiccup, 
I was out of a salary for a long time. And then as you know, from running a startup, you want to keep as much money in the business to grow the business as opposed to paying yourself. So I was paying myself bare minimum. Fortunately, I didn't have kids at the time and could live off of a pretty low salary while I was living in Brooklyn at the time. And so I've been steadily, as we've grown, I've paid myself a little bit more over time. But I do recommend entrepreneurs to jump quickly in terms of getting your MVP and getting a proof of concept and making sure that there's demand. But I don't necessarily recommend leaving your salary because that is what's really fueling your business. You don't realize it until you leave the business. So you need that cash to support your life and work at nights, work over the weekends. You can get a lot done in those hours. You know, that's kind of your second job. What was that like having virtually no salary, no stability, no security? I'm good at scheduling and keeping myself busy, but it's a, it's nerve wracking, right? It's nerve wracking. I make a mistake. Is this going to take off? Is the Kickstarter enough of validation? But then there's also the drive of, we just got to get this product and we're going to keep going and growing. And, you know, a big change in the business was I took a leap. I, I learned that when you put logos on products, so here's actually one of our customers here with a logo. When you put a logo on, like for a coffee shop, if you get their logo, put it on a sample and give it to the owner, right? They see their logo. There's this big ego effect that people see their logo or their name and they want to buy. I learned about the customization and personalized world. I invested in a laser engraver and just, we had our 5,000 units in minus the Kickstarter bottles. And I started shipping out free samples to as many people as possible with their logos on it. So any of my friends who work, you know, are all working at jobs. I got their logos, got one for them and one for their marketing manager or whoever was head of swag and procurement and the sales really started to boom. So that was like a major turning point of just like going from Kickstarter and thinking that, oh, we're just going to sell online through Facebook and Google and Instagram ads and we'll be great. That doesn't really work that way, right? You need to build a brand. It's very hard to be profitable through direct-to-consumer advertising. So I started shipping out these bottles with people's logos on it. And instead of buying one unit at a time on our website from one customer, you know, a company could order 500 to 1,000 units. So that's what really started driving demand and driving the business was the promotional and retail space. Whereas I expected it to all be D2C, you know, so. That's interesting. That's really what helped the business take off. That's been our bread and butter to this day. Our direct consumer sales make up roughly 7% of our total sales. So it's wow. really a blend between retail, some of those retailers I mentioned like Starbucks and Whole Foods, Anthro and Apology, and then promotional. So companies buying our product, you know, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, Zoom, they've all bought our product, put our, their logos on it and given away to their accounts and their employees. So that's been a big driver. Amazing. What was it like, that obstacle when you had these 5,000 units and they come in, they're faulty? How do you navigate that? And what was your biggest learning about that now looking backwards? Yeah, so what we did, there was this adhesive problem where they didn't let the adhesive dry and it was causing this smell, this odor in the product, which is terrible for a drinkware product. So I brought literally, I think, 15 friends, family and friends to the warehouse. We set up a station. We put these water buckets, these soap buckets, and we were literally made our own assembly line to clean these bottles out. So that was our way to remediate the problem and get rid of this smell. It didn't work, right? So I have all my <laughs> friends opening up bottles or taking out the packaging, sending it down the line, cleaning them, letting them dry, repackaging them, and it didn't even work. So, you know, that was just, you ask about what was that like? Just the stress of relying on friends and us being like, is this a, all in a failed effort, which it was, but you learn, you learn, you know, part of it is, I think as an entrepreneur, your ultimate job is to inspire and to inspire people and employees and the team to believe in a higher purpose, which will allow them to take a lower salary to start, but believe in the mission of the, of the company. 
and to inspire your customers too. So it was a tough time, but I think it kind of teaches you, hey, you got to do whatever it takes to figure this out. Even though that didn't work, it was still, we're grinding it out until we find a, a solution. It's kind of, you just got to have grit when it comes to entrepreneurship. And that was just one stepping stone in our journey. Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk to us a little bit about the charitable component around your business? Sure. So I learned about Charity Water through, as I mentioned, that Blake Mykoski book. I learned about Scott Harrison and his story. What I love the most about Charity Water, well, I feel like brands these days, fortunately, are all trying to include some charitable component as part of their business. But the problem with these charities is you don't really see where your money goes, right? You can't really connect your dollar to your project. And Charity Water basically solved that problem. Their operations are 100% funded by private you know, or corporate donors. And then that allows for them to track our dollars. So we can specifically choose a well. Our last project was in Bangladesh for a school for 400 to 500 students to get access to clean water who don't have access to it. And so we could specifically choose that well, take our money, fund that well, and connect our customers who bought our bottle to the exact project that they helped to fund. So I learned about Charity Water. I love their mission. I just love what they're doing. I love their transparency. I believe transparency and vulnerability are the true keys to life and business. One of the best lessons I learned from my mom, she was always, you know, she would be in a group of women. I remember seeing her and I feel like they would all, everyone had their guard up, right? They had some barrier up. They didn't want to share too much. And my mom, she would make herself vulnerable. She would share the things that she was struggling with. Um, it, it was really hard for her to manage kids and school and also working, right? And, and then all these women would start opening up the things they were struggling with. And that vulnerability and transparency led to these deeper connections, which is what we are working to do on a corporate level. We want a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, be vulnerable with our customers and say, we're working to get towards climate neutrality, uh, but we're struggling. And here's how. And here's, you know, we're opening up this manufacturing plant. This is all the great things. It's like Instagram versus reality. Everyone shows Instagram, but they never show the reality, right? Of like what you're truly struggling with. And so we want to share what we're doing great with doing well. We also want to share where we're struggling. And I think that will form a lot deeper of a connection with our customers in the long run. That's amazing. Can you speak a little bit to the clean water crisis? Because I know you mentioned it. I don't recall if it was before we started recording, but here, at least in America, I feel like most people are just... You have water accessible everywhere, it's crazy. right? Yes. You have your sink, you have tap water, you have bottled water. But I think a lot of people aren't necessarily aware of how big the crisis Completely. is. Completely. Once you travel abroad and you see a crisis like this that humans are still dealing with, it gives you such perspective on the things that we complain about every day. 785 million people don't have access to clean water. That's one in 10. That is staggering, right? So Think about going to your shower, brushing your teeth, just getting, going to the sink and filling up water to drink. Imagine if that water, you had to walk four hours in you know, blazing heat 
to fill up water in these buckets and these, you know, jerry cans at a source that was contaminated, that was dirty. You could see the contaminant, but that was your best option for getting water to your family. You can boil it, but you can't really always purify it. And so I now have three kids and the thought of having to do that and serve this to my kids on a daily basis is just mind blowing. And just our capabilities as a species, as a human race is just incredible. We're, we're going out into outer space and yet we can't provide clean water to everyone on the planet. So when I learned about that and saw some of these stories through Charity Water and how they, you know, they really show the before and after of what water does to a community and to a family. I think my mom is the most proud of is when we make our donations. And really, it affects women and daughters the most. They're the ones that are forced to walk and get water, whereas the husbands can work and get a job and bring money in, and the sons can go to school and get an education. So by bringing water to a community, it really affects the mothers who can now work or they can support their family at home. They can do all these things as opposed to walking hours a day. And the daughters can now go to school and get an education. And it just trickles down generation after generation. Once you provide clean water to people in need, it's not just that family, but it's the next generation, the next generation that are impacted for the better. So once you see it, it's really hard to like, again, it's one of those perspective game-changing moments in your life that you're like, wow, yeah, being financially successful can be still very important. But if you're not helping people on this world, I don't think you really can have true fulfillment if you're not giving back and helping people. Someone buys a Welly bottle, through the sales of the Welly bottles, you're partnering with this company, Charity Water, and you're actually opening up and building a well in places. in. Yep, exactly. So at the end of every year, we make our donations. We work with their team. We tell them, hey, this is the amount based on our sales. This is the amount that we donate this year. Which wells are available at that rate? And so we're able to look at different projects, hear different stories, learn about different communities that don't have access to clean water. So we've done two in Malawi. We've done one in Ethiopia. We've done one in Bangladesh. And we're looking to expand. The more we can sell, the more people we can help. So they're able to show us. Then we fund those wells. We actually put a, for every production run, we have a code that you can then take that code, go onto our mission page on our website, type in that code and see where your money goes. So we're really mm. connecting the consumer to the well that they're helping to fund. That's amazing. Do you know how on often how much like a well costs to make? It ranges. Um, I would say one standard well, depending on the location. And Charity Water with their partners, they do all the work in terms of drilling the well, picking the location, working with partners on the ground, teaching them how to repair wells when they break. So it usually ranges from ten to fifteen thousand dollars. But there are much bigger projects with multiple wells. You know, you can do a lot, a lot more with with more money. But on average, ten to fifteen thousand dollars. And then once that well's created. Does that town or that province or that location, then everyone has access to clean water? Exactly. The best part about making it, you know, the goal is to make it sustainable where Charity Water and their team doesn't have to keep going to visit that well to fix it when it breaks, right? And so it's really, you actually provide jobs to the community and they take responsibility and ownership over their well and how to maintain it and how to fix it if it needs to be repaired so that they can, if that goes down and they have to go back to walking 45 hours a day, it's a tremendous impact. So these communities really take ownership. It's a job in the community to maintain and, and keep the well operational. Have you been to anywhere where you guys have opened up a well? Not yet. We are planning to. COVID put a little bit of a wrinkle in our plans. We did two projects in Malawi in part because with one trip, we can go visit two different communities. So we definitely plan to. We want to bring our videographer team, our marketing team to film it and really show, talk about a community about what it was like before having clean water and what it's like after having clean water. And 
really connecting again. Our goal is to connect our customers with their give back mission. Yeah, I'm sure that'll be just an incredible and an eye-opening experience for you as well. Completely. Now, obviously, you lived through this significant loss early in your life. Do you think you would have had this charitable component in your business? Like if it wasn't, was charity always a big piece to you? Or do you think that became more important to you as a result of living through your loss? It's a great question. I think it was because of my loss. I always wanted to give back, but I always needed to be fully financially secure in order to feel like I was comfortable to give back. So I'm not there yet. And so it takes some time. But by losing my mom and seeing the fragility of our lives and learning about how people are so how fortunate we are relative to the population, right? The overall human population. And it's just crazy the disparity in, in lives just by virtue of where you're born. And so I think from connecting that recognition of how fragile life is and that it really every day is a gift really led me to caring more about giving back to people who aren't as privileged as I am. I think the loss was really the major connective tissue that connected both the business, the start of the business, but also made sure that the business model incorporated giving back to people. That makes a lot of sense. Is there anything else you think that your loss has shown you or how your loss might have impacted the way you, you view the world, especially now? I don't know how, how many years it's been since, since your mom passed. It was 2012 when she passed. So we're 10 years, 10 years this year. Perspective is the main thing that I talk about. Grief is an interesting game almost, right? Where it comes and goes. And it's like, sometimes you don't think about things. And then sometimes you're hit like a ton of bricks, right? And it's just overwhelming, especially when I had my kids. Each of our three kids, I'm like, I'm not being able to know my mom and their grandma. is just truly heartbreaking. And just imagining that relationship and what that would be like. Perspective is the biggest one, how it's impacted my life. My care for family. And just looking at, I think you just look at the world differently when you have loss and tragedy and you just see what's important. It's just so many people I look at who haven't experienced loss get so caught up in all the little things that mean nothing, right? And so, <laughs> but then again, I do it too. It's not like I, you know, you're not, you're not perfect just because you gain yeah, some perspective, but it helps you at least when you're dealing with problems like that production run that went south. I mean, there've been a million more problems that have come up with running this business that I'm like, oh my goodness, again, this is, we can't get product. Oh my goodness, we don't have any product for Q4, our best-selling season. And I look back and I kind of laugh and I'm like, this is nothing. This is a good problem to have. Yeah, it definitely gives you a lot of perspective on just what's important, where you want to spend your time, how you want to spend your time, just how you want to go about living your life. Completely. Let's just shift. I want to highlight, so you're, you're planning to open up this US factory, bring jobs back to America. What's that like? That's an exciting proposition, and that's definitely got to be pulling you out of bed in the morning. This is our future. I want to show the world that America can still produce quality and affordable products here, and we don't have to rely on overseas manufacturing and our fragile international supply chain to get our consumer products. Globalization is great, has afforded us the ability to outsource products and get products cheaply and stock our shelves, but you see what happens when you rely on it too much. And A, you lose a lot of jobs. A lot of jobs have gone overseas. And it can impact our economy greatly when you're so reliant on overseas manufacturing. So I feel like there's this massive opportunity. It's rare when you find a consumer product category like insulated steel drinkware that is 100% controlled by one country. Not only that, one province in China produces 95% of the drinkware that's sent around the world. So I feel like there's a major opportunity from talking to our retail partners, from talking to our promo partners, from talking to individual customers. 
and asking them, hey, if we can match the same quality of all these competitors like Yevi and Stanley and Swell, if we can match that quality and have a competitive price point, but be made here in the U.S. by veterans here in Pittsburgh, would you buy? It's a resounding, of course we would, if you can do it, right? So we conducted an eight-month feasibility study where we talked to people in drinkware manufacturing and manufacturing operations. We built a feasibility study. We've gotten quotes for domestic steel, for caps, for plastic, for silicone. We are still going to be a little bit reliant on China. So the drinkware machinery is all made it overseas in China, right? No one's making drinkware machinery here in the U.S. So uh, to start, we formed a partnership with our co-founder of our current manufacturer overseas who has connected us with a machine maker who sells drinkware machinery to pretty much all the drinkware manufacturers in China. So we're not reinventing the wheel to start when it comes to machinery. We're buying that same machinery that's being used to make all of our competitors, including our product. That's how we can guarantee quality. And then price point, you know, what I've learned in this industry, it's a pretty high margin industry. Our competitors are buying product for five bucks landed and turning around and selling it for 30 to $35. So it will cost us a lot more to make them here in the United States, primarily because American labor is way more expensive than Chinese labor. But with automation and eliminating international shipping and international duties, we can get to a point where even though we'll, we'll take a haircut on margin, it'll cost us a lot more. But we can still sell it at the same competitive price and still have a healthy margin while separating us completely from the pack of Chinese-made drinkware. So that's really the vision that we have of disrupting this industry, of showing the world, hey, we can still make things here in the United States and we don't have to rely on overseas manufacturing all the time. And we can hire people like veterans who have served our country and are still oftentimes struggling and, and need a source of income and give them a second chance at life. So it's really impact-driven. Sustainability is at the forefront of everything we do. We want to be the most sustainable drinkware brand in the world. To start, we'd be the only ones not shipping bottles around the world, saving on carbon emissions from ocean transport on day one. But long-term, by controlling the plant, we can do things like putting solar panels on the roof or really mitigating and getting rid of all waste, water, or air pollution getting to climate neutrality at the plant level, which our competitors can't do because they're reliant on third-party manufacturers overseas. So it puts us in a really unique position to really, I want to push our competition, just like Tesla has done in the, in the automotive space. I want to push our competition to say, uh-oh, we got to figure out American-made manufacturing because Welly's proving you can make quality, affordable products here in the U.S. Amazing. Well, that's super inspirational. I'm curious, you know, you went for it. You went for your dreams. You left the nine to five and you decided to go all in on this business that you wanted to create in Welly. What would be your, your advice, your bits of gold to someone who's sitting at home right now listening to this and they have their own dreams that they want to, that they aspire to, to chase, that they want to get after? What would be your advice? Sure. To I mean, I'm beyond privileged just having a supportive family and really a financial safety net. So I, I was able to do this because I knew if I failed, I could still get back on my feet. And not everyone's in that position. And I recognize that. I think the biggest keys as an entrepreneur is the ability, as I mentioned, to inspire and network. I think it can be very hard for an entrepreneur if you don't have a strength in sales, which sales drive the business. And if you can't, and so being able to sell means you're able to sell your mission, not just your product. So, you know, I think the ability to network and meet people, can't tell you how many times I meet you and you connect me to someone else and they connect me to two other people. And that person is our new product designer, right? And it's just like, if you close yourself off and don't say yes to all these opportunities to meet people and connect and share and inspire, then you really can't do much as an entrepreneur or you need that person who can, and that's your first, should be your first hire. So, you know, I think there's a financial component of being 
risk averse, being very frugal financially and doing what you need to do to prove the concept, get things going. And then at some point, you kind of got to take that double down risk, right? Of go for it. Once you feel like you have enough proof in the pudding to do that, you got to do it. At the same time, that network, that ability to inspire, bringing people in as employees who might take a smaller salary in exchange for some equity in this business because they believe in what you're doing. I think the best thing an, an employee can say to me is, I'll take less, give me more equity, right? That means they believe in the business and, and what you're building here. And so I think the key to entrepreneurship is A, the ability to pivot. You might have one belief like ours was D2C sales is going to be the driver of this business. It's not and never has been. It may never be. And so the ability to change your product, change your mind quickly based on what you hear and not be stuck. And then also the ability to inspire people on something that hopefully is beyond just a product and that solves a problem, but has an even greater purpose that can help people and help our planet. I think that in today's world, especially younger generations, they don't just look for products that are functional and the right price. They look for products that inspire and, and, that, and that can change the world. Those are my key recommendations for entrepreneurs. Awesome. You know, we covered a lot of bits of gold on living with purpose and going forward and pursuing your dreams. Are there any bits of gold on living with purpose that we haven't covered that you want our listeners yeah, to hear? Yeah, the one thing that I, I think I was uh, wish I would have said this is, you know, I think there's so many times, there are two things. One is there are times in life where you're presented two choices, right? And one's the easy way that's comfortable and one's the harder way that's very uncomfortable, that goes against what your body is telling you to do. And I just feel like the fruit is always at the journey that's the more uncomfortable one. And if you can kind of train your body, I feel like when you go through grief, your body builds these defense mechanisms that like, I don't cry anymore. And that's because I built these defense mechanisms that just make me numb, which is not great. You know, I want to cry more. <laughs> and I just feel like if you could almost build a strategic way within your body that when you get these things and your body's telling you one way, you just, your mind says, oh, I'm doing that. I don't care how hard it is. That's one thing that I think is really just key to life. And the second I would say is, I think they're all, so the, it goes in the same vein, but just kind of go for it moments, right? Of just like, you know, saying hell yes to things and just like, you know, it will be fun, but it's so much easier to stay on your couch. Just kind of just say hell yes, let's go for it, right? And kind of having that attitude towards life. I think having tragedy and having a deeper perspective allows me to say I want to dive in a lot more because I may not be able to tomorrow. So I think those are the two things that are worth holding on to. Awesome. Well, Ben, it's been an absolute pleasure. Hope we can get some more Welly orders through this, through this episode, help build more wells and help more people get access to clean water. Wellybottle.com, I know is the website. Where should people connect with you? Where can they get a hold of you if they want to reach out? And um, I'll include obviously Welly Bottle. In, sure. In the and, and we can, uh, we'll create a discount code. Why don't we do a 25% off? with a code gold, all caps, 25. We'll do that for you and your listeners. Awesome. And then um, my email is ben at wellybottle.com for anyone who wants to reach out to me directly. I'm pretty accessible. Google knows that when I respond to emails, it already auto templates. Sorry for the late reply. So I will be <laughs> delayed in responding to you. Building a manufacturing plant is a little consuming, but yeah, that's my direct email for anyone who wants to reach out to me directly. And that, again, gold, 25 all caps gold 25 will be 25% off on our website. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. All the links for this episode can be found in the show notes. Or if you found Ben's bits of gold inspiring, I want to hear from you. Shoot me a message on Instagram at Dan Lev Goldberg. Finally, if you can please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, it would mean the world. That's all for today. Thanks for living with purpose today and every day. And I'll see you next time.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.